welcome everybody to episode 78 of High Tech on the Low. Erez, how are you this morning? I'm good. Thank you for having me. Thank you for coming on the show. We're very glad to have you here. Erez Naman, CTO of Scopio Labs, which we're going to get into in a little bit. As always, we are sponsored by Front Team with 12 different communities, six verticals, and 3,000 members all looking to connect. And now we got to connect the dots between the world of digital, diagnosing, blood, morphology, cells, everything that you guys are dealing with there at Scopio Labs. So, why don't we just get started with understanding a little bit about who we have sitting in front of us. Erez, go ahead and introduce yourself and uh, introduce yourself uh, and Scopio Labs, what you guys are actually doing. Thank you. Uh, so um, as, uh, as I said, my name is Erez. I'm, um, I'm a physicist by trade uh, with a long uh, history in the military uh, doing R&D. Uh, after the military, I decided I wanted to get into a different field. So uh, I spent a while working on assistive technologies for people with low vision or blindness okay. at a company called Orcam. Oh, uh, Orcam. So there we go. Oh, you're familiar of with course. it? Of course. Yeah, okay. very. I, I actually even think some of our uh, listeners will probably be familiar with Orcam as well. So that's nice. pretty cool. So I joined it uh, six months before it was founded and helped start the company, serving oh, as so its... Oh, you were like uh, a first kind of employee type. Uh, yeah, we were two first employees that joined the founders pre, nice. uh, pre-founding. So I got to, to see that experience from the get-go. Awesome. Uh, and uh, so I did both tech there and business development. Nice. Oh, so you got years. kind of both sides of the, of the coin there a little yeah. bit. Yeah. Okay. So I really wanted to experience both. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, un- serving under Amnon Shashu and Ziva Viram was, uh, was a life-changing experience, and I wanted to get the chance to learn from both. Sure. Crash course in entrepreneurship, startup growth, everything, you know, tech in general, innovation, right? Yeah, 100%. Yeah. They, you know, they're the gurus. Yeah. There's a lot to learn from them. Of course. Uh, and then uh, after that, you know, during uh, grad school, sure. my co-founder and I met and we uh, we were the two crazy ones who lived <laughs> in Tel Aviv and studied in Jerusalem. OK, uh, so we we had two hours every day, basically, you know, driving back and forth. Uh, just, oh, you drove there. You didn't even take the bus. OK. Yeah. So. so each time one of us took the car and we had time to just think Chat. and talk okay. and come up with ideas. And nice. we're both entrepreneurs at heart. So we would come up with ideas, most of which were, of course, terrible. Okay. <laughs> uh, but then gradually... Do you have any good ones that you want to share with us? Any bad, terrible ones? Um, they, they are all gone. I don't even keep them in my <laughs> mind. They were that bad. Okay. But uh, every time we saw a problem, we just sure. started thinking about it. Mm-hmm. And then uh, Itai was at Singularity University in the States, came back with an understanding that there's a problem in the world of diagnostics, specifically in blood. Okay. And, you know, specifically at Singularity, he learned this or was this just something he himself was like really into? So they they did kind of group work at Singularity and his group focused on that. OK. Um, so he learned more deeply about that problem. Sure. And then uh, in our in our drives, we started, you know, thinking about that problem and trying to find uh, the angle. So we started going to hospitals. Mm -hmm. In the process, we saw a lot of people just sitting on microscopes. You go into rooms and there are just dozens of people sitting sitting on microscopes with a pencil, usually writing down what they saw. And, And even today. Even today, yes. Like 2022? 2022. You're telling me that people... In many hospitals that you'll go to, you'll go in and there's a room full of microscopes and people sit down and write down what they saw. And these are highly capable and experienced people. It's not just anyone who can right, do this Right, it's not you're just a, hey, lab technician, can you look at this for two seconds? So these are uh-huh. highly trained lab technicians, Okay. Uh, specifically trained for morphology. 
uh, usually ones with many years of experience. There aren't many young people going into that field, okay. which is a, one of the biggest problems. There's a huge growing shortage of people who can do this. Wow. Uh, not many people come out of university thinking, I want to sit on the microscope for 10 hours a day. Well, especially not when you have like high tech salaries that, you know, you can just, uh, I don't know, graphic design all day. Exactly. And, and these are smart people. Sure. These aren't like, you know, just anyone who, sure. not anyone can do this. And so. But you're saying that basically it's like, we're, so there's people in a room Yes. All, the, the best the best thing they so not only is there people in a room which we'll get to that in a second yeah. but basically there's people in a room mm-hmm. they have microscopes that they're basically have you know are advanced we can say but are just as advanced as any of the most advanced microscopes might be at this day and age you they're, know they're just a manual microscope oh, it's just just a manual oh yeah it's just glass you know glass uh, lenses uh fitted into wow. a tube and they sit and they put the sample like you did in biology school. That. The microscope is a little nicer, but that's it. So their only competitive value here is the fact that they're just incredibly trained, experienced uh, lab technicians who exactly. can make, basically, and they still make mistakes. Exactly. Mm, okay. Um, and so, and it's not just mistakes. It's also, it's very local, right? Okay. You have to be where the sample is physically. Right. So it means that, you know, if someone's sick today. Um, then or if a pandemic ca- happens. Or if a pandemic happens. Sure. You can't do your workload. Sure. Uh, and so we thought that, like, like you were surprised that in 2022 it still happens. We were surprised about that in 2014. Wow. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, we were there and we said, it's, it's ridiculous that this it's is shame. the way things are happening and sure. we need to find a way. And so uh, deep learning was just happening and uh-huh. we thought we would start by uh, doing AI to diagnose, you know, to, find, to, to uh, find the different types of cells in the sample. Now, have you found that like calling it AI has made you guys more attractive or has it kind of decre- detracted a little bit? I feel like it really depends on who you talk to. Sure. AI helps a lot in the fact that it's very descriptive. Okay. You know, most people understand what you say. If I say deep learning, right. some people get it and some people don't. But if sure. I say AI, people understand the idea of what I'm trying to achieve. Uh, but if I'm talking to someone, you know, who's from the field or has technical understanding, I'll talk about the deep learning and not a not not the buzzword of so it's AI. kind of like a branding for you almost in that sense you know kind of I, like I, to the I less technical say. almost interesting yeah. okay go ahead though but then uh we wanted to do the ai but we ended up finding out that the problem wasn't actually you know at the ai level mm. there's a deep, deeper problem we wanted to buy a microscope that could scan these samples okay okay there wasn't any microscope that we could find that can scan at high resolutions really we were really surprised about that but then wait wait, you're, wait whoa 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 you're telling me like that you couldn't find a single microscope in the world to yes. help to do what you wanted to do exactly that's so incredible. There, there are high resolution microscopes but and this is the core pivot that we did okay. very early on sure um is that we found that there's a, I mean, we didn't find it. There's a known trade-off right. in physics between field of view and resolution, mm-hmm. okay. which is uh, the higher resolution, the higher the, the resolution, the smaller the field of view, and okay. your focus also becomes really sensitive. And that means that it becomes impractical to scan samples because mm. you can't maintain focus and you can't do it fast. Right. It's the same idea as like when you zoom in very close with a camera. In that exactly. Sense, you it's know? exactly the right. same thing. Mm-hmm. So you zoom in and then... If, if I were to tell you, like, if I gave you a map of Tel Aviv and gave you a field of view of the, the size of a roof sure. of one building, okay. and I told you, on one of the buildings in Tel Aviv, there's a blue ball. Okay. Go find the blue ball. Right. Like, that's, that's like asking a me to... ridiculous task. Right, how, right. how would okay. you find it? Sure. But that's, but that's the task 
that that people are trying to deal with. So that's the current way that like using uh, microscopes for blood diagnosis, whatever. That's that's what's going on right yeah, now. Yeah. So what they do is they start in low resolution, trying to find cues and then focusing in okay. on specific things. Uh, but it is very it is the single most tedious task in all of lab diagnostics. Well, it sounds like the where's Waldo of the medical world. Like, exactly. you know, <laughs> let me like find this little, you know, uh, indication of some sickness, something in the minefield that is my blood, basically. Exactly. OK. About 200 million man hours are spent every year just looking at specifically blood samples under a microscope. And how much, let's say, could uh, one of these trained you know, technicians, how many samples could they get through, let's say, in a day? 25 in a day. 25? Yeah. That's it? Yeah. So they're, they're usually not allowed to do more because it just becomes... Tiresome? Yeah. So the, the, at some point, you can't do it as efficiently. So you're saying that like after basically... So let's call it like I have 25 people, and if I have four people in the room, I'm getting 100, like yes. theoretically. Exactly. But that's like not a lot. I mean, there's tons of people giving blood every day. There's probably maybe, a, what, at least 100, I don't know, in the first half of the day maybe, if not more, right? It, it depends on the size of, of the facility, but you're, sure. you're mapping out the exact problem. Wow. Uh, and so when we found out that you can't scan it due to this uh, trade-off that I mentioned, we wanted to build something that could do it because you can't do AI when you don't have data. Uh-huh. uh-huh. So you can take snapshots through a microscope of very small areas. But the problem is when you don't have the context of the slide, it means you'll often have to go back to the microscope. And that's a non-trivial point, so I'll spend 30 seconds yeah, on that. Yeah, explain that, that a little bit. Um, if I only gave you snapshots of cells, you can recognize the cells. Okay. However, let's say that you're looking at the sample and uh, there's a low count of a specific type of cell. Okay. How will you know if my device only got you, has a bias and only got you some of those cells, or if there's actually a low count. You would have no idea. You would go back to the microscope and start looking around to see if, if uh, what you see on the microscope represents what you saw in the snapshot. But it's basically kind of doing a, a comparison of, the, of basically the two samples. Exactly. Okay. Which is inefficient, makes no sense. And has and a so lot of room for error. Scan. Yeah, okay. You have to scan the sample in order to eliminate the manual microscope from the process. That's just one of the examples. It also means you can't work remotely mm -hmm. because you can never verify things if you're not next to the sample unless you have the scan. It means you don't have context. It means you can't find rare events. You only find the things that we found. There, there are a lot of uh, issues if you don't have context. And mm. so in the process... Uh, we, we hit the same walls that everyone else did when trying to develop a scanning microscope. Okay. And we realized that you can't do it by trying to develop better lenses than companies who've been you know, polishing lenses for 200 years. Okay. That's not a, that's that's not not a reasonable value. Okay. <laughs> uh, value proposition for a startup. Sure. You have to think of something else, basically, that's yeah. going to actually be there for the diagnoser to actually say, okay, this is what's going on. With, right. the, with the blood sample. Right. Okay. In a way, the problem is big enough that if the, the solution was simply mechanics and optics... It would have already been solved. Someone would have done Okay, it. I see that. Uh, and then we pivoted. And from starting as an AI, let's say a pure AI company, uh, we realized that there's kind of a serendipity here, which is uh, okay. we are two physicists who wanted to solve a problem in AI and realized that the real problem is in physics. 
Um, and so we sat down and we brought in another, uh, you know, the first employee who was a PhD from the Weizmann Institute. And together we developed a method called computational photography. Mm -hmm. uh, the idea essentially is a real time super resolution based on physics. Okay. So we're able to work with really simple hardware, simple mechanics, simple optics, and increase the resolution based on real physics. That's not based on AI or anything mm -hmm. like that. So it never, uh, it, it never just... Uh, accidentally creates a cancer cell. It's okay. all based on actual information. Okay. Um, and so we're able to increase the resolution of the sample and with very simple hardware, have the only high resolution scanning microscope in the world to this day. It's the only one you can buy. And is it, it is a separate standalone, correct? Or is it something that you add to an existing microscope? So it's our own device. Okay. Own yes. your, and, and basically where are you selling it right now? Um, well, everywhere. Okay, um, well, that's good. <laughs> yeah, we uh, we signed a worldwide distribution deal with uh, the second largest hematology company Congrats. in the world, the one that invented the blood count. Wow. Um, and so we, we are available you know, in most countries or many countries around the world. Now, how was that pivot when you first decided to move from AI kind of to this more, we can say, it, holistic physical solution, right? Because one of the things to me that, you know, hits me initially is like, wow, that, that, that's very hard to do because... When you have software, let's say, and you're focused mainly on software, mm -hmm. I mean, obviously we have challenges and there's development issues, but it's pretty one track. You know, you're in the software space. That's where you're staying. But once you have to bring hardware into the mix, that becomes a major issue. First, connecting the software to the hardware, making sure that those integrations are right, and then even just understanding how your hardware is now going to function. So how was that pivot? I mean, you made it sound so easy just now, like, oh, and we pivoted serendipity. You know, like, how, how was it for you? Well, um, it, it, I, I hate to make it sound like that, but it was pretty easy in the sense that it was pretty early on. Okay, it was early because enough. Okay. we couldn't get data. So mm. it, wasn't, it wasn't like we, you know, we started doing a lot in AI and then had to um, change the DNA of a company. It happened early on when it was the two of us and we realized... You know, we tried building things ourselves, realized we, it just wouldn't solve the problem. And so the first person we brought in already had, uh, like us, the understanding of both the hardware and the software. Oh, so, so that was kind of a good find there, basically. Oh, 100%. Good draft pick. You know, 90% of, of uh, creating a good company is luck. Right. Uh, having the right timing, finding the right people. Sure. We definitely lucked out with, with the, our core team is still all with us. The first, really? Wow. The first f five or six people who were in the company are all still in the company. Eight years later. That's yeah. crazy. Wow. Um, and I think it, we, we really had a... I'll combine it like luck with a little bit of maybe a good eye for good people. Okay. Uh, just to not make ourselves seem you can completely give incompetent. A bit. Yeah, there you go. But, uh, <laughs> but yeah, we definitely, uh, there, there's definitely a lot of luck involved. Sure. But then we, when we assembled the right team, it was, it was a very natural progression and things started happening pretty quickly because I feel like companies have a DNA. Uh huh. Um, for it, sure. And, and, uh, and our DNA was built around that idea that, First of all, we are a company that solves hardware problems with software, right? right. Super resolution, in a I way, like is, is taking, you know, a hardware problem, right. but bypassing what the hardware can't do what, by using algorithms and software. And so in our DNA, whenever my team hits a problem, uh, 
their first instinct is to say, can I build, this is the hardware I have, and hardware is long cycles, right. and it takes a lot of money, right? Sure. So we hit a problem, and then my team asks, can I create an algorithm that will fix it, bypass it, make it better, use the problem to our advantage? So it's not like throwing out the hardware, because a lot of people, you know, especially when you think of AI and software, they, that's really what they think about, kind of like getting rid of this, you know, you know, colossus that is hardware, right? Mm -hmm. So you're saying basically when you come into it, you're looking much more like how do we improve the actual hardware on the ground? Not so much the let's throw it out, use software. Yeah, because we are in a field where there is no other hardware. So we are not just an AI solution on existing data. We found out that no one could create the data. So we are actually creating a unique data set that mm -hmm. only we can do. And so for us, the hardware is, is a lifeline and, uh, and an enabler. Um, mm. we, we are building the AI on top of it. We have FDA approvals, including right. the AI for analysis and everything. Uh -huh. So we're definitely doing both. Uh, but we don't view hardware as a, as a pain. We view it as an opportunity. Mm. Okay, I like it, that. It's a moat. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah, it's yeah. Hardware, there, there's a reason why it's called hardware. It's mm -hmm. very hard. Right. Uh, but then it's, it's hard for you, but it's hard for everyone else as well. So if you went and tackled the problem and ended up solving it, everyone following you is going to have to do that, but you are the first. Mm. They're going to have to do that knowing that someone is ahead of them. Right. They're going to have to do that knowing uh, you know, that, that uh, uh, the, they're going to have to share the market. Right. There's, there's a lot of deterring factors once someone's done it um, to, to someone else going after this really hard problem. So I think yeah. that, that we, we chose a good problem to tackle, one that I feel makes me wake up every morning with sure. a smile. Which is important. And at 100%. the end of the day, you, you know, you're also, like you said, you're kind of tackling this larger issue, which is this, this is the tool. This is the implement. It hasn't been changed. Mm -hmm. If it would have been changed, it would have been changed. And we need to find a way to work with it until the next innovator comes along and just changes everything, right? Now, the one thing I want to know here is that, you know, you come, you're talking about that you come around in 2014. Now, right now, obviously, it's 2022. Mm -hmm. We're past the pandemic, almost 2023, crazy. But, uh, you know, we're, we're past the pandemic that, you know, heavily accelerated digital adoption, especially in, in healthcare and especially in med tech. 2014, though, was still, in certain ways, just getting started with some of these adoptions. And especially when it comes to AI adoption, things like that, it was still, you know, a little bit just getting started. How were people reacting to your solution when you first gave it to them? Like, oh yeah, we're gonna just you know, uh, you know, uh, make a better microscope, make a better system for diagnosing using AI. What, I mean, what did people say to you? Like, did they actually believe you could do it? Were they willing to even try your solution? Yeah. So, um, I would split my answer into different audiences. So the there's the audience that is interested in um, how come no one did it before, right? Okay. And and then you have the people who understand. Uh, the tech behind it. Sure. Um, so the people who, who understand the tech, uh, definitely we had a lot of eyebrows raised in the beginning, you know, saying like... Like, are is, you sure, kind of? Can, can you do, can you actually do clinical grade super resolution uh, in a device that's something that's never been done? Sure. Um, in, in all honesty, we didn't know for sure, but we really believed that we we were the right team to do it. Yeah. So if anyone could do it, we, we would probably be well positioned. Sure. But if we might as well take a stab at it. But we <laughs> may not be able to. And okay. we, we were honest about it. Uh -huh. uh, but there were also reasons to think why this would be the right time. Okay. So GPUs were just becoming strong enough 
to do this at the edge. It's too much information to send to the cloud. Mm -hmm. So we couldn't, we had to do it on premise. Okay. Uh, there's also privacy issues in hospitals. There, there are a lot of stuff. considerations. Yeah. Okay. And GPUs were just getting to that stage. And we realized it was the right time, the right team and right. the right TAM, mm, right? There you go. Um, and so once we, once we figured that out, we, we, we thought like, it's the time to do it, let's do it. Mm -hmm. um, so there are those people who, who looked at the tech. But when you look at it from the market's point of view, I don't come to them and talk about tech or AI or any of that. I say there's a problem in the lab world. Mm. You, know, you have a task that you have a problem fulfilling at the right turnaround time. You have a personnel problem. Uh, there are things that are difficult for a person to do, finding rare events, quantifying statistics of sure. large numbers of cells, right. things like that. Um, and, and so when I come to a lab, and I, I basically tell them, you have these problems in your lab. Mm -hmm. Here's a device that does it. I don't talk about, you know, here's my amazing tech. Right. Here's a device so that you will make their you actual issue. Okay. 60% of, of your work time. Uh, and th that's the actual number, by the way. 60% of the work time on, on blood samples will be saved. You can do it remotely. You can do it over the weekend. Wow. Um, do you want it? So it's a much easier sell. You always get a few of of, uh, of the naysayers. Okay. Um, and this is also, you know, healthcare is a conservative industry and yeah. rightfully so. Yeah, Need, needed to be. I mean, listen, you're dealing with people's lives. You're dealing with people's, you know, very intimate history. It's yeah. not something you can just, you know, uh, oh, yeah, bring in the AI, right? You know, yeah, kind someone of like... developed a skill over 10 years, exactly. 20 years. Right. And you tell them, I'll change something. And they need to know that the next morning people are still diagnosed well. So right. they're careful. Mm -hmm. Safety is important. Privacy is important. You know, efficacy is important. So there are a lot of considerations in healthcare that are, let's say, more severe than in other, in most other industries. Sure. Um, so you always get some people who will say, don't touch it. It's working for me. Mm -hmm. I don't care about the problems in if the it ain't industry. Broke, yeah, if it ain't broke, I, it fix works it. for me, so don't take away my microscope. Sure. I'm used to it. You know, I'm three years from retirement. I don't want to learn something new. You get some of those. Mm -hmm. But I have to say that in the last few years, I haven't heard any of that because I feel like the problem and and like you said, the pandemic has made it so obvious that, right. that it's impossible to continue on the same course. Uh, even the most... Uh, the most conservative user, when they're at home, quarantined, and they want to work, and they right. can't come to the to the lab to do their work, if someone tells them, I'll give you the same sample available on your personal computer at home, and right. you can continue working, you're not sick, you're just quarantined right, at right, home. Right. Um, then but it's they kind of say, an aha moment like exactly. that. Exactly. Yeah. Then I'll do it. Uh -huh. And then they suddenly realize, wait, sure. that means that I don't have to come to the office on the weekend when there's a problem, I can do it from home, log in, do it from home and go back to playing with my kids. So you're saying, yeah, I'll do that. So most of the lab technicians then, they're, they're pretty okay now is what you're saying with the fact that you know, you're kind of giving them this added service in a sense, this added ability, yeah. they're okay with it. Yeah, I think once they saw what it, what it can do, uh, that it, it's a very natural adoption and the problem has gotten to a point where we, normally don't have to explain it anymore to to the customer okay now are you also you know you mentioned earlier that we're having a, a shortage in the yeah. lab technician mm -hmm. world right so what happens in the next 10 years even with your solution what happens like where are we left i i think diagnostics will go digital i think that entirely it, it's inevitable it doesn't mean that people are going to be 
um, left out. Mm -hmm. It just means that we're going to uh, divert the people to doing the things that people do best mm -hmm. and to use their time in a better way. Instead of looking mm, I for like what cells, you said there. Okay. They'll look at you know, instead of looking, you know, for the cells, they'll look at them. So instead of like spending their time um, you know, foraging okay. for information. <laughs> foraging in the blood sample. Exactly. Okay. They'll they'll spend their time making decisions, deciding Actually, okay. on the clinical uh, aspects of it and and, and uh, spending their time on other tests as well that require for an hour at least, require more time. Um, so you're not concerned by the fact that there's less people going into the into the field because you're basically saying probably in the next 10, 15 years, just as we've adopted and adapted, you know, to this kind of changing reality, like so too will diagnosis in general. Yeah, I think uh, what will happen is it, it's a twofold revolution. The first step of it is uh, using people better. Mm -hmm. So utilizing their time in a better way, making them, you know, there are things that computers do well, yeah. quantifying things, looking sure. for things. There are things that people do well, drawing conclusions from things. Right. Um, so we will focus people more on those things and use their time more efficiently. The next step would be to understand what are the things that people absolutely shouldn't do uh-huh uh, because we make too many errors or our, or it's too inefficient yeah. or mm -hmm. there's too much money being spent at it yeah it's okay. a lot like what you see in in vehicles right uh -huh. the first right. step was was early warning systems sure so the first step was let's augment the driver right and and give them more information so that they can make better decisions exactly right. okay the next step will be uh growing levels of autonomy of the vehicle right um, to the point where it becomes semi-autonomous and we decide at what point even the driver even has to get involved, basically. Exactly. Maybe he should never get involved even. Exactly. So okay. it, it'll be the same progression. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that there's an illusion that whenever we introduce a new technology, it makes people redundant. That never happens. I mean, look at the, you know, in the 19th century, people said we're going to start uh, building factories and then you won't need workers. Right. We need more workers. Yeah, you actually right? needed more and uh, a lot of them. You yeah. know? It, right. it happens with a lot of revolutions where they say that it will make people redundant, but it ends up uh, focusing people on the right tasks. And on new skills, I could say, too. You know, yeah. It opens up new industries. But that's a lot of fear, you know, in mm -hmm. my opinion. It's people who are just kind of scared of, as you said, I'm three years out from retirement. I don't want to learn something. I don't have the patience to learn something and just let, you know, kind of leave me alone. Right. Yeah. But it's a, that's just like the changing of the guard in a sense, you know, and, mm -hmm. and I think that's real. Now, one question I want to know is, you know, when you come up with this idea, you know, what did you find was the biggest threshold that investors, maybe even potential customers had to kind of come over in their mind to actually say, we're behind you. So, um, I would say that um, there, are, there are several of them. Okay, so, I, I imagine. Because you guys yeah. are a te complicated technology to even understand for just like the, the guy sitting in a room and being like, wait, what? You know, what are you mm -hmm. doing with blood samples? Yeah. You know. So one would be um, the type of investors that we, you know, that fit the type of things we do. First of all, not all investors are interested in healthcare. Mm -hmm. Not all investors are interested in deep tech. Mm -hmm. Um, and so when we're a combination, right? So, right. uh, we sit at an interesting nexus between digital health and a medical device. So we had to find investors that, that gravitate towards that. Mm -hmm. And we had to find, uh, the story mm -hmm. to be able to tell that in an, right. in, in an effective way and in a way that gets to, gets to people. So I, I think the main, the main thing was, um, creating a story that that actually resonates with people and explains what we do, who we are, and mm -hmm. why they should invest right. in us in a in a good way. Okay. 
Um, and once we learned how to do that, you know, um, I like to say that when, when, you, uh, when you start raising funds, and it almost doesn't matter what field you're in unless it's really hyped or you're sure. like a repeating uh, uh, you know, entrepreneur, uh, it's us- it usually goes like, no, 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 maybe. And then you're like, oh, I'll adjust something. Right. And it's like, no, 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 yes. And once you get the yes, it's like a no, no, yes, 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 yes. And then, and then you, things happen. And then you caught the fire, basically. I, I know uh-huh. it, I, I say it in a funny way, but it's actually your feeling in there. Because it's like you just get no's until, uh, until you, you, you just want to yeah. give up. You're just at your home crying. And then you get like, like one kind of a maybe or a yes. And you start, if, you, if you're good, you learn from it. And you start adjusting what you do. Mm-hmm. And then suddenly it's because the problem is always you. It's never the industry. Right. If if you didn't you you weren't able to convey your story in a way that people could um, understand could, all the things you relate mentioned. to could yeah. understand right and so you learn storytelling in the process you think so, you think you're an entrepreneur but you're actually learning how to be a storyteller right and why they need to understand your story and how it addresses a larger market yeah. so we're getting towards the end of the of the talk and I always mm-hmm. like to ask people you know kind of what's their advice for other entrepreneurs who are in their uh, similar position so floor is yours what's your advice. Um, my first advice is probably to be, um, to listen to everyone, but not too much. Um, in the end, there's always going to be people who don't get what you, what you're doing. Uh, and it's, it just, it takes a lot of commitment. If you have the right team and the right level of commitment, you'll pivot to the right solution. Mm -hmm. So a good team will, with the right kind of conviction, will get to something. So get take the feedback, listen to it. But if you know in your heart that it's true, that's where you say, now here's something that I understand that no one else does. And you go after that. But you go after that like a zealot, right? Like you it. go after that with your entire heart. And if you made the mistake, then you th- then try to fail fast on it. But But if you got it right, that's where you have something big. You got something that people around you didn't know. And that's why no one else did it. I like that. I like that. That's a that's a good uh, piece of advice. We don't always hear that all the time. And that one I, I specifically love. So listen, Ares, it was great having you on the show. I appreciate it. And I wish you guys the best of luck with what you're doing at Scopio Labs. Um, and good luck with everything in the future. Thank you so much. It was great being here.